healthcare saw a lot of ups and downs in 2022 from labor issues, consolidations, and more. So what might 2023 hold for the industry? Just healthcare co-presidents Chaz Rhodes and Dr. Lisa Bilimovich share what they're watching for this year. It's Tuesday, January 17th. I'm Jay Carlisle Larson, and this is Just Healthcare Daily. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The healthcare industry saw some big changes in 2022, from an industry-wide staffing shortage that drove up labor costs, some large cross-regional mergers, increased interest from retailers to get into the healthcare space, and more. While 2022 is behind us, how could the previous year inform what we should be on the lookout for in 2023? I'm Jay Carlisle Larson, and this is Just Healthcare Daily. On today's episode, we listen to my conversation with Just Healthcare co-presidents Chaz Rhodes and Dr. Lisa Bilimovich about their healthcare predictions for the year ahead. So, big question to start. What will you both be watching for in 2023? Uh, Chaz, I'll start with you. Well, I think it's probably not a lot of great news. Certainly, 2022 ended on a pretty down note for providers, although, as we'll talk about, I suspect in this conversation, there was a little bit of good news at the end of Congress, surprisingly. But in terms of economic performance, financial performance among hospitals, health systems, many physician groups, and so forth, it was not a great end to the year. And given the state of the economy, I would say, probably 2023, at least the first half of 2023, is not shaping up to be much better. And Lisa, what will you be on the lookout for as the year gets underway? I guess that if you're trying to take a glass half full view at what 2023 can bring, it might be that it's all downhill from here. As the recession that we're in uh, peaked and, you know, we're moving toward recovery, the next few months are going to tell from a COVID situation Health systems and providers have been navigating the triple dynamic with RSV, COVID, and flu for the past few months. And now we're looking at another variant that's very contagious, and we don't know what that's going to bring. But, you know, fingers crossed that as we get to the spring, hopefully we get a bit of a reprieve from respiratory illnesses and we get more of a, you know, a bit of stability about what 
is going to happen with the larger economy and what the trickle-down effects will be for healthcare. I think that's right. I think a lot of it depends on the larger economy and forces at work in the larger economy. I think healthcare is, uh, in some ways, one of the stories of 2022 is that healthcare sort of rejoined the rest of the economy in terms of how it's impacted by broader macroeconomic forces. You know, we thought for a long time healthcare was sort of recession-proof or not subject to some of the same forces. But I think what we've discovered is whether it's what's going on in the labor market or what's going on in terms of consumer spending and pricing and supply chain and so forth, healthcare is at the you know, white hot center of all of those issues. So we can't talk about the industry without talking about the intersection of healthcare and politics and, of course, by extension, policy. You know, at the federal level, we have a new split Congress with Democrats controlling the Senate and Republicans controlling the House. So what will you be watching for in politics and healthcare in 2023? I think the main thing to focus on on the policy front is that, you know, what we just saw play out on the floor of the House of Representatives over the last week or so with the difficulty that they had bringing the caucus together to agree on a speaker is a good indication of what the next two years are going to look like. And in fact, things can probably only get worse as we get closer and closer to the presidential election. We're in the silly season now of politics. And I think what that means is nothing will happen from a legislative perspective. I think that's a fairly obvious observation. But I also think it means that our, our politics in this country is likely to become even more polarized in this next year and beyond than it is already. And so there's a knock-on effect, right? It's not just that Congress probably isn't going to do anything from a legislative perspective. It's that that then ripples out to all the state legislatures and has a, an impact there as well. And so I think we're very much into a season of regulation to the extent anything changes or there are important things to focus on from a government perspective. They'll come from regulatory activity, things like antitrust enforcement and regulations around site of practice and, and scope of practice and so forth. So I think we're frozen now from a legislative perspective. The one thing that I think it will be interesting to watch in 23 is whether the Freedom Caucus in the House is successfully able to put the safety net programs back on the table as a topic of debate. So will we again be debating Medicare and Medicaid along with Social Security on the floor of the House? Again, nothing will happen there because of divided government, but that just spins up the rest of the political landscape to focus on those issues. I think that'll be worth watching. Yeah, the recent midterm elections, you know, healthcare wasn't a huge topic of debate and didn't seem to drive voters' choices, given where we are with the economy and other issues that are on the table. It will take someone who's motivated to do it to make healthcare a front and center issue again when we're talking electoral politics. I would note one other very interesting topic to watch in the near term from an antitrust perspective is whether non-compete agreements turn out to be enforceable. So as you know, the head of the FTC has uh, recently put out some rulemaking for comment around getting rid of non-compete agreements altogether. That would be a monumentally disruptive thing to happen for the healthcare industry for reasons that I think Lisa's probably better to talk about than I am. I mean, pretty much every employed physician works under a non-compete agreement. Uh, they're usually 
you know, have a pretty extensive geographic scope and oftentimes keeps a doctor from leaving one group and going to a competitor or starting up on her own. If that were to go away, boy, would the landscape for physician talent look really different. And you can imagine, particularly for revenue driving specialists, you know, we could be put in a position of a real bidding war for talent um, when doctors have the flexibility to go from one organization to another much more readily. You know, there's great things about it too. Uh, you know, the ability to, you know, to right-size talent, the ability for physicians to advocate for themselves, but it would definitely be a huge shockwave to the physician marketplace. One thing that's on my mind is telehealth, and telehealth has increasingly become uh, a bigger part of the healthcare landscape, of course, largely driven by the pandemic. So Lisa, I'm curious, what is your 2023 outlook when it comes to virtual care? I think it's a put up or shut up moment for providers when it comes to virtual care. You know, so many doctors and health systems have said, well, you know, we made bets here when we had to for the pandemic to remain connected to our patients. But, you know, when it comes to long-term strategy, we don't know if the payment's going to be here. Um, how heavily should we invest? Well, Congress came through in the omnibus legislation. We have two more years of telehealth reimbursement. We have two more years of coverage for hospital at home. So there is much more certainty there now. But I do think the onus is on providers now to say, well, what is our long-term strategy going to be? And the one thing that I think we shouldn't be counting on from a payment perspective is that virtual care is going to be reimbursed the same at the same rate as in-person care. It's on the industry to figure out how to make this cheaper. If it costs us the same to deliver a televisit as it does to go and see a doctor in person, then we're failing. Virtual care should be more efficient and should be able to deliver lower cost care at scale. I think it's a put up or shut up moment for um, for some of these digital health innovators, though, as well. And so, as you know, as much as providers, I think, have been on the fence, traditional incumbent providers have been on the fence about how much to invest here, really, how much to upset operations and and really convert to a through a virtual first or a digital first model. There's a lot of subscale very highly variable quality care being delivered in a very scattered, disjointed way across many of these digital disruptors. And so I think probably, and I don't think this story is going to be fully written in 2023, but I think one thing to watch for this year is consolidation and standardization. What exactly is it that these telehealth providers are delivering to consumers at what level of quality with what sort of reliability and in order to get to where they need to be and deliver a really you know value creating product does there have to be some roll up and some consolidation i think that's a question that both consumers will increasingly ask and purchasers will ask particularly employers talk to any hr manager in a even a large company but certainly small to medium sized companies you know, and they're just flooded with these point solutions for their employees for various uh, bits and bods of virtual services. What is all that really doing for me? How is it actually improving health? I think there's no promise in telehealth, 
But I think this this may be the beginning of a prove-it moment for proponents of virtual health as a big component of, of overall healthcare delivery. Chaz, I'll add one thing to your great prove-it list when it comes to digital health, but health in the startup community in particular. How are you going to connect to the rest of a patient's healthcare? You know, it's fine to deliver a good virtual visit in the moment, but if all of these visits are done in isolation, then there's a real possibility for duplication, conflicting advice, you know, and that is one of the challenges when you treat all of this innovation as a point solution. I think the other question on this on this topic for incumbent providers, hospitals, health systems, traditional physician groups, uh, is am I really going to be good enough at this and be able to scale it in a way that it's not just going to be either a distraction or a disruption to my own operations and my own finances? And so would I be better off finding a reliable partner rather than trying to go down this path all by myself? I don't know that there's a one-size-fits-all answer to that question, but it would be passing strange if 3,000 hospitals and a million doctors were all great at this out of the gates without some external support and partners to help them along. And so I think part of that consolidation is also, to your point, Lisa, figuring out what are the integration points and where can we bring together a, a solution for consumers so that it's not just more dizzying, unhelpful fragmentation in the care continuum. We saw a number of cross-regional health system mergers in 2022. The largest was Atrium and Advocate Aurora's merger, which was finalized in December. It didn't face any antitrust challenges. What do you think that this could signal for maybe some similar deals in 2023? I think you will see a number of big health system deals uh, announced across the course of the next 12 months. Uh, and that it shouldn't be surprising. I mean, this is just what happens in an industry that is fragmented and facing tough economic times. And it's worth remembering that healthcare is still relatively fragmented compared to a lot of other industries. And so it would not surprise you to see health systems seek shelter in scale. And I think there is real value in scale as long as you use it for the right reasons, um, which is, you know, how do we become more efficient and reduce cost and uh, and invested transformation and so forth. And I think that is largely the logic of these cross-state mergers, which are less about raising price because very often you're running across several different payers. And so you're, it's not giving you a lot more leverage to raise price. So I think you'll see a lot of it. Uh, I would expect more than a handful of very big deals to be announced. I, I would guess that in the hallways of the West and St. Francis at J.P. Morgan right now, there are deals struck between attendees who are ducking in from the rainstorm to talk to each other about their futures. But there is definitely a need to show and demonstrate what kind of value, particularly these geographically far-flung com combinations, will bring to consumers and to providers that work in those organizations. You know, to date, we haven't seen a lot of that value delivered. It doesn't mean that there isn't potential there, you know, to find the best practice across a multi-state organization and seed it throughout the system or tap into talent and advocacy in a way that a system in a single region would have trouble doing. 
It's just that most large systems have been slow to do this. You know, given the pressures on the industry and increased scrutiny from regulators, it's another put up or shut up moment for these mergers to show that they are doing something different with the scale they have. Let's talk briefly about hospital systems and the economy. You know, health systems faced, you know, a number of issues last year between supply chain issues, staffing shortages and high labor costs. With that in mind, what will you be watching for in 2023? Well, the slightly good news, again, from a glass half full perspective, I suppose, is that the labor market is starting to loosen up a little bit. So hiring has slowed down in the last numbers that we've got from the federal government. But wages are still very robust. And, you know, I think the pressures that most hospitals have been dealing with, you know, have to do with, as you said, a combination of not just can't find enough folks to staff the hospital, but also the people that we do have are increasingly burned out and feeling like they don't want to do this anymore. They want to go elsewhere. Or if they're going to keep doing it, they want to be doing it for a lot more money. Um, there's not a lot more money, and that's having a drag on the, on the economics of, of hospitals and health systems. I guess the good news is as to, you know, I'm going to go do it somewhere else or do something else, this, you know, slackening up a little bit of the labor market probably helps ward some of that off. Yeah, health systems have been in a tough position in that their labor costs have risen over the past 18 to 24 months by about 20%. But yet we haven't seen a more difficult time on the payer negotiations front as well. So costs have, have risen in a way that is very, very real, but it doesn't seem like it's being recognized by purchasers. You know, we heard this week at JP Morgan, Intermountain say that they are going to hold strong in uh, negotiations with payers and try and get those labor costs recognized and look to push really hard for rate increases. I just don't know, you know, Intermountain is a large health system in a very enviable market position systems that don't have the same level of clout in their markets may not have an easy time, you know, trying to get what they're asking for in those negotiations. We've seen large retailers like CVS, Walgreens, and Amazon make really big pushes into the healthcare space. 2022 felt like the year that there was a keen interest in purchasing, for example, primary care provider groups or home care organizations. So on that front, Chaz, what will you be watching for in 2023? I think one thing to watch for in 2023 is where the retailers, how the retailers can be pushed into healthcare. And clearly, the opportunity is still there. Many of them have taken several bites of the apple already. I think Walgreens has done some aggressive things. Amazon has had bits and starts, uh, but seems to be making some progress forward. CVS clearly has like a game plan of bringing together the insurance side and the and the retail pharmacy side and the drug side and that as much as they possibly can. I think one of the questions for all of these big disruptive new entrants into healthcare is. How do they actually integrate the pieces they're acquiring into something that actually you know lowers cost and improves value uh, for purchasers and consumers? And I think the jury's out on that. I mean, it's it's not easy. I mean, it's become sort of a cliche to say healthcare is hard, but it is bloody hard to do. And it's all local, which is another cliche that uh, you know. And what that means in a large retail organization. The fact that all healthcare is local is that you've got regional operators of a retailer who are having to figure out very complex healthcare integration issues. And I think that's hard. And so uh, you wouldn't expect 
fast progress on any of this, but I do, I do hold out hope that we'll see some progress toward creating, you know, real integrated regional models around some of these retail organizations. They clearly bring a consumer DNA to the table and an understanding of how, of convenience and access and so forth. But when do we get past the point of it just being another convenient option for healthy 35 year olds to come in for very low end primary care? And I think that's harder uh, to answer and will take more time. Like the other prediction I make for 2023 is that we will see Amazon do something surprising. Everybody will say it's dumb or it's Lucy in the football or boy, they already tried this and they failed. And I think the important thing to keep in mind, it's, it's not because, you know, there are brilliant people at Amazon. It's not because they're not brilliant. It is because it is hard. You know, what are the things that we can do to actually transform, uh, to tra transform this industry? But the thing to bear in mind is those big retailers and United Health Group, which we haven't talked about yet, but is, I would put in the same category, have so much money to spend on innovation that they can keep getting it wrong for a long time before they finally get it right. And that's a hard thing to compete with when you're even a large health system uh, in a region or in several states. You're peanuts compared to some of these $100 billion plus organizations. And they can throw a lot of spaghetti at the wall to see what sticks. Incumbents have to get it right every single time. Amazon only has to get it right one time out of 20. If they hit a home run, it's a real home run. Uh, and I think that's the the challenge of these large disruptive innovators. Yeah, the idea of what actually is big and how do you measure it is super important. You know, you take uh, one of the mergers that got a lot of discussion last year, Advocate Aurora and Atrium coming together. You know, bringing those two organizations into a single system created uh, a health system that is in the neighborhood of $25 billion of total revenue. Well, in order to start to hit the scale of these major retailers or the country's largest health plans, you would need 10 Advocate Aurora atriums. And just given the pace of not only getting the deals done, but actually integrating health systems into a single unit, boy, that is a real uphill battle for providers that try and match disruptors just with brute scale. They're going to have to find ways to make their value translate locally and and be more agile and comprehensive than their retail counterparts. We have covered a lot of ground in a very short amount of time. But as we wrap up, any final thoughts on what we might see in healthcare this year? Uh, Lisa, I'll start with you. It will be interesting to observe if continued rising interest rates and tightening of the economy has an impact on the physician practice market. You know, we talked a little bit earlier about digital health uh, and the fact that uh, the recession has cooled some of the activity in that market. The other place that has been persistently hot the past few years has been investor-funded roll-ups of physician practices, particularly specialty care. And despite rising interest rates and more difficult access to capital, that continued unabated throughout the past year. But as we have said before, there's no doubt that investors are not long-term owners and operators of physician practices. I think this year could set up to be a turbulent year for some of those investor-owned groups. 
both as acquisitions might start to slow, but also some of the ones that have been operated by investors for a while uh, start to see what happens when the investors want to get out and there's another transaction on the horizon. And what does that mean for doctors? How does practice change? And who is potentially going to look to acquire 150 orthopedic surgeons rolled up across five states? There's not a lot of natural buyers for that kind of scale in the physician community. I think to go back to the conversation about telemedicine for a minute, one of the things that I will be interested to see this year is whether one of the big telemedicine providers gets acquired by one of these uh, either retailers or insurance companies. We've talked about the fragmentation of the telehealth world and the digital health world, and increasingly there's got to be some kind of a roll-up. And I think the ultimate form of that would be the integration of a big telemedicine company with one of these much larger either insurers or physical asset-driven companies. So I'll be interested to see what happens there and if there if there is sort of a Sentinel acquisition made. I was joined by GIST Healthcare co-presidents Chaz Rhodes and Dr. Lisa Bilimovich to talk about what healthcare could look like in 2023. This is GIST Healthcare Daily. I'm Jake Carlisle-Larson. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please leave us a rating or a review. It helps other listeners find the program. We'll be back with healthcare business and policy news updates tomorrow, as always, in 10 minutes or less. You can check out more insights on healthcare business and policy news at gisthealthcare.com. You can also get these insights emailed directly to your inbox when you subscribe to our newsletter, The Weekly Gist. The Gist Healthcare Daily Podcast is an independent production of Gist Healthcare, a Kaufman Hall company. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.